Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the world. It is 0600 hours Eastern, 1000 hours Greenwich, and this is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy. I'm William Eastman, Managing Partner for Applied Knowledge Labs, a North American uh, business research company, and your host for the next 30 minutes. And today's show is number eight in the series of eight, which is based upon our upcoming book called The Code. And today's show is called The Path to Dominance. And I probably should add Path to Market Dominance just so that anybody that's tuning in doesn't think that this is a show on B&B. Um, so anyway, if you want to join us, you've got some options. Number one is you can go to our website. You can go to our webpage at blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder, T-H-E hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R. You can dial in by hitting 347-215-7471. That's 347-215-7471. Or you can go to our blog, which is also on, on the Blog Talk Radio site, and you can catch up with the latest news, and you can download the latest show. I haven't got yesterday's show up yesterday because we are running a business besides doing the radio, and I'll have yesterday's and today's up sometime this afternoon. So anyway, what's today about? Well, format we've been using, and it's the last day we're going to use this particular format, is we're going to talk about growth stages, we're going to talk about critical issues, we're going to talk about what is the owner's role, uh, what is the owner's focus, and where are the failure points. And what we've been doing in this series, let me just kind of really go back to the beginning since it's the last one, is that we, um, the, the principles of our company uh, started in the consulting business 30 years ago. And in those years, most of our energy and attention was focused at large corporate consulting. And the reasons for that are, uh, are simple. It's very lucrative. You can make a great deal of money at it. And it's easier to sell to. Um, but my passion has always been the small business. And what happened to me uh, uh, almost 20 years ago now, in 1990, I took up a gig with the um, with the United Nations. And I was wound up working for UNDP, United Nations Development Programs, and then specifically a program that was operating in Western Africa called EPRTEC. And EPRTEC is a, is a Spanish acronym meaning bringing uh, transnational organizations um, and local entrepreneurs together to kind of help them get a bigger piece of the pie. So as the UN was spending money or the World Bank or the IMF 
to bring in uh, to help those countries. Uh, what they were trying to do is they were trying to stimulate those large companies to buy local, and not only just buy local in terms of raw materials, but buy local in terms of finished goods, suppliers, etc. And so that's what our focus was. And it was uh, one of the incubator programs I was in was three weeks in duration. And um, what happened to me, at my, my training style at the time was every Monday after the first week, we would stop and take a half hour the first morning or up to an hour and say, okay, so about last week and kind of have a heart-to-heart with them. And especially important in a lot of, in, in, in the U.S., people are not so much uh, taken up by your role as an instructor, but in a lot of countries around the world, they still are. So you, what you're trying to do is reduce the barrier between you and them. And what happened on that uh, third Monday, which was the last, uh, it was the three-week program was last week, was that uh, they talked about the challenges and really the issues, how they felt. What what came out of this was not an intellectual conversation, it was an emotional conversation. Now, what I realized right then and there was that uh, I had more in common with these Ghanaians than I did with my own family. And, and a couple things that hit me at the epiphany on the road to Damascus, so to speak, I had two. One was that entrepreneurship was a calling. Now, I had read it in school. I had read it from other people, but I never felt it. And on that particular uh, beautiful morning in Kumasi, Ghana, I felt it. And it was, it was, quite, it was quite, um, quite the revelation to me <clears throat> that... Uh, if you're going to make it in business, you've got to be called because if you're not called, you're not going to make it, not because you may not be smart enough or intelligent enough. Um, it has to do with, it has to be in your heart, it has to be in your soul because only a crazy person <clears throat> would do what, what we do to grow our companies. The second thing that struck me is that this is really where I wanted to be in the marketplace. Where I did not want to be was where I was. I didn't want to be in this large corporate consulting game. It just really wasn't, I mean, again, the pay was good, uh, but that's all it was. And so I was, um, so what I was, I, I just wound up going, you know what, I, we gotta, I got to do something about this. And it wasn't, it wasn't for another few years that something happened. And um, I had been gone through a couple companies, and I had built the, the company that we are building right now. Uh, is our fifth startup, and so when I left the, uh, the United States Coast Guard, I was a uh, marine scientist and meteorologist. I left the United States Coast Guard in 1987, uh, which is now 22 years ago. Uh, we've had we've had uh, five startups, two internal startups where we were asked to start business units, uh, and two external startups where we had our own money and we started our own companies. And like most entrepreneurs. Um, I have a mixed record. I have uh, one that was a killer, just absolute knocked it dead. I had one that bombed that was just terrible. And then I had two that were kind of mitsa mitsa, you know, kind of in between, uh, okay, average. And so, like most entrepreneurs, I've kind of run the gamut. But the, but the thing that struck me was that there was nothing out there for us. So here I am working with these large corporations and knowing that as an entrepreneur, this is information that I should possess. This is something that I needed to know as I was growing the company and how many of my friends who were starting their own firms needed to know what we knew. And so that, that was kind of the, the, the thing that got me rocking and rolling on this idea. And, but it took another few years, and few years, and it wasn't until 2002 when I was in a company that was a, a, a dot-com that was turning into a dot-bomb. 
that I uh, was like, well, maybe it's time to take this dream down. So when I say that uh, Applied Knowledge Labs, North American company, North American company, we have offices in Calgary, Las Vegas, Kansas City, and we just opened our Richmond office. Um, well, when I say business research, what I, what I really mean is what we do is we look at research in specific areas to say, gee, this is information that the layperson, the entrepreneur should know. Now, our job is to figure out how to get that information into their hands in the simplest manner possible and at the lowest price possible because I know two things about entrepreneurs. They, they typically don't read and they don't like spending money. And so, yeah, I, I have friends, uh, my entrepreneurial friends, that will spend ten grand at a drop of a hat to, to go camping or um, to go golfing or, or go do something fun. On the other hand, trying to get $100 out of them for something else um, is like pulling teeth. So it's an interesting population. I'm one of them, so uh, I'm not picking on them. So anyway, that, what my story goes to is when we, in 2002, decided to take this business forward and work on this and say, okay, we're going to go and deal with the small business marketplace, we focused on what were the characteristics of fast growth. And that led to a number of years of research. And then finally, we produced a book. And the idea behind the book was that we would one day publish it uh, once we had a couple years of experience under our belt with it. Otherwise, it's strictly a research book, and the people that we want to read it won't read it. And so that's kind of where we are today. And right now, I'm in the process of rewriting the book. And what I'm doing by rewrite is I'm taking the lessons that we've learned, um, and I am incorporating that in the book, but I'm also giving it stories and breath because before it was, you do this, you do this, you do this, uh, not unlike uh, the previous radio shows that we've had. So that kind of gives you a sense of what this eight of eight has been and that this is the last one. This is about reinventing the firm. If I go back to yesterday uh, quickly, is the issue of when you get to stage five, which is stable. In other words, you've gone through your growth spurt and you're kind of catching your breath, and you're going, okay, we did that. Now it's time for the owner to make a decision about what the future is. Are you going to sell the company? Because if you're going to sell it, no better time than right now to sell the thing. Um, are you going to grow it? And undergrowing it, you have a couple options. One is you can buy another firm and try to knit it together, or two is that you can reinvent your own firm. Um, my recommendation is, um, is either one of those will work, we're not going to cover the issue of what, how do I do a, how do I buy and merge a firm. Uh, we perhaps should do a show on that because we've got some experience at it, but I'm not going to cover it here. Or the third option is just let the business decline. And what a lot happens in a lot of businesses is that the business owner says, "Well, just kind of glide here for a while." Well, I got to tell you, um, just like there's laws of nature, there's laws of business. One of the laws of nature that also applies to business is that there's no such thing as stasis. Uh, in other words, nothing stays the same. And in business, if you're not growing, you're declining. That's one or the other you have to choose. So the idea of saying, well, we'll just kind of stay here for a while, um, yeah, intellectually, that may be a, a thing you can say. The reality is it doesn't happen. Okay. So what happens if you say, look, I want to regrow this? Well, visualize in your head that what you've been doing is you've been working up kind of working up this hill. And instead of sitting on top of the hill, which you can't do anymore, and you made a decision that you're not going to fall down the other side of the hill, how do you kind of loop? 
how do you how do you come back around and start climbing up the other side? And so this is finding another mountain to climb. This is instead of going downhill, instead of staying here, this is climbing up to the next peak. And so what you're doing is you're reinventing the firm, and in the process, what happens is you basically are moving back to stage three, which is the next act, to say, okay, now what's the next act? Now that we've done this, what do we need to do? And then very quickly, you're back into stage four. If you can picture this, these loops, which we're going to talk about tomorrow at length, is that the companies that have gone from zero to a billion are companies that have executed four loops. Now think about that for a second, just four loops. And the companies that are in really good markets, managed very well with a lot of their investment money, can do it as quickly as four years. The, country, the companies that are not in very good markets, and there's not a lot of margin, but are well-managed, can do it in 12. And so what we found a pattern of four, six, or 12 years in terms of companies that went from next to nothing or a billion dollars. And so... Tomorrow, we're going to tackle that. So what we're talking about here is what is your path to market dominance? Um, how do you reinvent the firm? What are the critical issues? Well, the critical issues are this. Um, one is you have to look at improving your offer. And so in this stage here, I, I, you, know, you don't know whether or not it's strictly an upgrade to the products and services you currently offer. could be. It could be that you develop a whole new set of products and services or you take the current products and services and migrate them into new marketplaces. So I'm not sure exactly which of the three it is, but this is where you're looking, and this is one issue. The second issue is improving your operations. And so, and that's how you're going to upgrade how things are made, or you're going to upgrade how you execute on service. And the thing to consider here, um, the critical issue is that if this is the first time, if this is your first rodeo, so to speak, your first reinvention, um, you're going to have two teams. You're going to have an external team and you're going to have an internal team. If this is your second or third rodeo, then you're really going to have four teams. And what you, the two teams you're going to add to this is a future team and a present team. Now, the future team is going to be saying, where's the market headed? Where's the industry headed? Where's the economy headed? And what do we need to do to, to stay viable in the marketplace as we believe it's going to grow? And the, few, and the present team is going to say, let's take a look at the overall operation. And so, and what do we need to do about today, today's existing markets, today's existing customers? And so, and, and so you have four project teams. Now, the, the other critical issue here, and we're going to detail this out here in a sec, uh, is the issue of is collaboration and innovation. Because really with this, this is introducing innovation and, and making innovation part of the business. You know, the, the, the correct behavioral science term is incalcate. Um, what it simply means is how do I embed innovation into the firm? Well, one of the things that we found is this issue of collaboration, that innovation comes from the right type of collaboration, and that comes from having the right players. Because in order to make this work, you have to get experts from inside the firm, people that work in a company, um, regardless of what level of position they have. This is getting customers involved, you know, the customers that will play, and there's a huge upside to having customers play. Uh, this is suppliers, uh, people that you buy from, because um, the more you can improve your supplier market, uh, the better, the better suppliers you have. Also, your suppliers have a lot of intelligence out there. Um, they may be able to tell you a few things, uh, especially around competitive intelligence. 
understanding your competitors. And external subject matter experts, whether those are consultants or people who come from a particular industry. But you need to cobble together. And regardless, regardless of these first two groups or teams, uh, the internal, external, you want to you want to build some coalition of forces like this, and you need to do it quickly. And the last critical issue is the issue of speed. All right, so where are we? Oh, we're about, uh, by my watch, about 16 minutes into the show. So then let me just remind you, um, this is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy, sponsored by Applied Knowledge Labs, a business research company out of North America with offices in Calgary, Alberta, Las Vegas, Nevada, Kansas City, uh, Missouri, and Richmond, recently opened Richmond, Virginia. And you can reach us by hitting chat at blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder, T-H-E uh, dash uh, or hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R. You can dial in at 347-215-7471 or you can pick this up later on our blog and that's williameastman.blogspot.com. All right, so what's the role here? Well, your role in this is you you want to be involved, but you don't want to be involved. This is one of those things that, uh, yes, you want to be kind of a leader of this. Perhaps sponsor is the right word as the owner. But you don't want to be overly involved. And the reason for this is you are really now beginning to grow the firm to the point where it can operate on its own. And the way to look at it is if you got, up to, if you got to this point here, you got a company that's about to become a, uh, about to uh, reach the the age of majority. We would say here in the states, a company that's about to be 21. And so this phase, this reinvention phase, is a way of really getting the company to grow up and mature. You need to be involved in it because obviously it is the most critical thing going on right now. It's where you're spending your time and energy. Uh, because uh, in stage five, I said take a vacation, take a breather. Uh, you don't want to take too long of a breather, maybe a month's worth, and people kind of go, glad that's over with. Now what you want to do is say, okay, let's let's push this to another level. And that's what happens when you do the when you do the reinvention. And so um, what you want to be is in a role of sponsoring these events. You want to show up at some of these meetings to hear what's going on. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to be actively involved in the details. You've got you've got the right people, you've got experts, you want other people to facilitate these meetings. Okay. The other thing you roll in this in all this is is to foster the type of collaboration and innovation you're going to need in the firm. Um, those are the things that you want to do, and you foster that by what what actions you you say uh, engage in what you say. But you want to make sure that everybody knows that this is this is a very cool thing to do, and that the future of the company, this is not a drill, that the future of the company uh, depends upon how well this is executed. All right? Now, the owner's focus. Uh, we talked about putting processes into place, and that's what we've been focusing on. Um, uh, the, the thing here is that there's only one core process left. And what we had talked about just briefly, we said that there are five basic core processes. There's one around finance. Uh, there's two around finance. There's two around strategy. There's two around production. There's two around uh, sales, and there's two around relationships. So that kind of that, those five turn into ten. And so far, up till now, we have built nine of them in because they're not important until you reach a certain stage of the business. 
in this particular case, um, the last one is what is your new product and service development process? That's really what you're doing in this innovation stage. You're saying, this is the way that we develop new things. So this will be the first time that that's happened. And in the past, when you've started a company, again, if this is your first rodeo, um, and for this company, the first time you got through uh, this first loop, is that when you first did it, you didn't apply any real science to it. It was more of, let's get it done good enough to sell it, and let's get it done quickly, let's get it out the door, and let's get it in customers' hands. And what we'll do is we'll get the other pieces of it working um, at that point. So in stage two, you're kind of doing a little re-engineering, but again, all ad hoc, um, not systematic, not planned. Okay? So now what you're doing is you're installing that last system, and this is around product and service development. How do you how do you do something new, and how do you develop it? And, and trust me, if you want to do it correctly, um, you need, to, you need to have a formal process in place. And the quickest way that you can tell whether that process is working is this. Um, how quickly does the market accept your new offer and how easy is it for you to hold price? If the, if the market accepts it without you having to do any real adaptations, and I'm not talking about marketing because obviously if you don't market, they don't know it's there, but rather when you put it out there, and they've got it. They don't have to. There's not a lot of re-engineering involved with it. It pretty much goes. It works as soon as they buy it. And number two, you don't have to adjust your price. You don't have to buy sales by lower price. If those two things are going on, then you've got a pretty good process in place. So that's what the owner's focus is at this point. Um, let's get the let's get the failure points. And the failure points that you encounter um, is the issue of speed. Um, this this is kind of like a planning stage. You know, I mean, the business is still running. The whole the whole operation of the company is still going on, obviously. Um, but this is siphoning off some energy. So what you want to do is you want to do this right, but you want to do this relatively quickly. All right, get it done. Uh, the second uh, area of focus is um, are the teams. Are they constructed the right way? Do you have the right players on these teams? Um, how are the teams being managed? In other words, to the managers, because more than likely you're going to have people lower in the organization who are in a management role, but not always the case. You could certainly have somebody who is just an individual contributor in charge, but no matter how you do it, how well are those groups being managed or facilitated? And trust me when I tell you, if you've been here, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, um, this is a skill set. Just like any other skill set, just don't think you can throw somebody into there because there's tools around working in teams. There's tools around quality. So there's a whole set of tools that you need to bring in. My recommendation would be is that you go out and you hire. This is a good time to get a consultant, um, whether you get a consultant uh, off the street or you go to a local community college and you get a um, maybe an adjunct professor. I mean, you don't spend a lot of money, but here's a place where I would say that if you don't want to waste a lot of time and money, spend a little money. Sometimes you save money by spending money. Sometimes you save money by not spending money. Here's a case where spending money works. Um, and so what, how are those groups managed and who are in those groups are critical issues here that are going to determine whether you kind of take the firm through. So let me, let, let me explain what I mean by this. Um, here's what I've learned over the years and what we employ in this stage and what our research shows us. And that is, um, the first, uh, when you start the company in stage one, you build, basically built the product or services on spec. 
In other words, you didn't have any clients out there, really. And now sometimes you do, and sometimes you go to somebody in the early stage and say, look, I'm building this. If I build it, will you buy it? Um, that's not a bad thing to do. But typically, we go out there because we have some knowledge of the marketplace, and suddenly we burst onto the scene and say, we got this thing, and um, people are going to buy it. Is typically what happens. Well, that's the last time in the history of the company you should build anything on spec. What should happen from this point forward is that you build collaboratively. And so you bring in your best customers. Now, there's some real benefits on the customer service and sales side, side to this, but that's not my focus right now. My focus is going to be on what are the, why would you have them in these meetings and what do they bring to the feast? Well, here you've got a customer who is a potential buyer who has a track record with you, who you want to sell this new product to, they have a vested interest in being involved in this because their vested interest is that they can get a product out of it. And so I basically set up a deal is that what we'll do is that if you work with us on this, we'll build a product to your specifications and we'll bring you a product that perhaps uh, we'll give you a price that none of your competitors are ever going to pay. In other words, when we sell this to you, we're going to sell this to you at a price that we're not going to sell to anybody else. Because think about what you've got. You've got a customer involved in product development. You've got a guaranteed market to sell it to. And so who cares if you go out there and perhaps you sell it at cost for this first run? Because it gives you a chance to check it out and test it. And you know, you know what you're going to do. You're going to raise the price and you're going to sell it to other places. So whether or not it is a new product and service or enhanced product and service or you're taking a product and service and moving it in a new market or you're taking a brand new product and service and moving it in a new market. I mean, I, it doesn't matter here. By collaborating with existing customers, you have a, a ready market for it. You can set the price. You can go out there. You know what you can charge. You can, you can manage your margin much better. And since they're working with you, there's some tolerance for it not being absolutely perfect when you first put it out there, which gives you another great opportunity to kind of work on it and build it so that when you take it to the market at large, you've, got, you've already got a proven winner. you already got a testimonial. So the collaboration with customers is absolutely essential here. Why suppliers? Well, suppliers deal with your competitors. More than likely, they understand your market as well as you, you do because just like you understand the market your customers are in, because if you don't, you're not going to be successful, your suppliers understand your market. So a great place to get market intelligence. They probably know what the competitors are doing. They probably know how the competitors build it. They probably, if the competitors are working on something brand new, they probably know about it. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have that in that intelligence, that market intel inside of this development process. And so suppliers are a great choice. Um, also, you know, the outside subject matter experts. And so um, how to pick them, again, it all depends upon what you're doing, so it's really a calculus problem. All I can tell you is that, for example, when we are working on a new product, um, we, get a, we get subject matter experts from that industry. So for example, if we're going to produce a new assessment or a new survey, um, we'll get, and we're going to build it for retail, then the, the experts that we bring in are people who work in the retail industry. And so they can basically say to me, these are the barriers you're going to encounter with this. And so those are, those are the, the issues involved with why you would want to collaborate and why you want to bring the customer inside. And that is true for both the external, for your external teams, but also for your internal teams is exactly the same thing only it's a different part of the customer base because the, the external people 
um, could be those customers represent the departments that are going to use the product. Okay. Um, on the internal teams, uh, maybe your customer people from customers uh, from the customer side, or maybe from finance, maybe from accounting. But it, but it's the same thing here. And here you're working on how we do business. And it's always been a rule of thumb is that really well-run companies, they do two things. They vertically align people in the firm to strategy. And then they horizontally align customers with processes. And that's what you're doing here. You're making sure that your processes are as neat and efficient as they possibly can be to ensure that the customer is getting something of a quality at a lower cost to you which means a better margin, and so that you can make the decision of, do I want to pass the cost savings along and keep the same margin as my competitors but charge a lower price, which is a brand decision. We're going to charge the same as everybody else and just have a better margin, which is also a brand decision. And so I'm not going to tell you which one of those to select. Uh, that's your choice. But that's why it's critical on the, on that's why it's critical for you to be working with external resources on these two pieces. Okay, sorry, somebody, I just got uh, chatted, and uh, sometimes that can be distracting. Yeah, look at the chat room as we're talking. All right, so what you've got now is that we've got the whole process put together here. We've got all eight stages. Um, you now have a path to kind of rebuild the company, to, re to recycle it around. And now what you've got is, depending upon what you want to do, is that as you reinvent the firm, then you're going to take it through stage three, four, and then back to stage five, and then you're going to do the same thing over and over. So tomorrow, what are we going to do tomorrow? Tomorrow's show is on the following. We're going to talk about the companies who have done this, these reinventions, multiple times. And by reinventing the firm multiple times, what they've become is true market leaders, true market dominators. That's tomorrow's show. Don't miss it. Have a great business day. Wealth and prosperity to all. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.